everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to 10 Foot Pole, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10. Uh, can you believe it? We are a third of the way through of our 30-episode season. Um, and to commemorate that, I'm doing something a little bit special today, trying something new. Um, I don't have a guest. So, if you think that you cannot stand to listen to my voice for the approximate next mm, 45 minutes, uh, feel free to turn it off now um, and come back next week where we will have a guest. Still there? Okay, cool, cool, cool. <clears throat> Thanks for uh, joining me on this nice rogue episode that I'm doing today. Um, and by going rogue, I mean that I am not going to talk about the revised common lectionary at all. Um, just want to do something real real special. I want to do a few special episodes throughout the season here to talk about things um, that are not in the lectionary at all. Um, because I promise you guys to talk about uncomfortable things that happen in the Bible. Um, and the thing about the Revised Common Lectionary is there's a lot of uncomfortable things outside the Revised Common Lectionary purely because of that, right? Like there are things that apparently when whoever sat around a table and decided what we needed to hear in churches, uh, decided there were parts that like, mm, these are too uncomfortable. Let's not tell them. Uh, it's best if these are untold. Uh, or they decided that, you know, they don't really align with certain narratives that are being told. It's probably more the latter, right? Since the revised common lectionary is thematic and well, uh, you know, the Bible is a very, very large collection, and so everything can't be included. And so they went and they're like, okay, well, these are the themes we want to go with, you know, mostly about Jesus, right? And so these are the things, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and a psalm that are going to line up with these things that we want to talk about, uh, about Jesus, and that's how they put that together. That's probably not a factual statement. That's just me um, <clears throat> speculating how those things came to be. It just makes sense to me. Anyways... There's a lot of things that aren't in it, right? Um, and quite often, more of the uncomfortable parts are left out. Uh, and so, let's talk about it, right? Um, and first of all, let's you know reiterate once again that the Bible is not one book. It, it, I realize that if you go to a store and purchase one or if uh, a stranger shows up at your door to hand you one, it's going to be bound as one. Uh, but really, it's not, right? Like, it is a collection of books, letters, poems, and histories written and compiled over thousands of years by hundreds of authors and editors together that have made this and translators made it into the book that the strange Christian handed you on your doorstep today. So I'm going to dive into one of the older parts of them, okay? Specifically, I want to dive into the early patriarchy. Um, let's you know, smash it a little bit, smash the patriarchy. But I want to talk about some of these, the, the early patriarchs that you maybe hear about all the time, but don't necessarily know that like, you know, they're maybe not as cool as we originally thought they were. Or, you know, they just got a little bit, things are just a little bit more messy than cut and dry, right? So like, think about Abraham, right? Like Abraham is the father we call the, the Abrahamic religions, right, of Christianity and Judaism and Islam being the big three. Um, but there are other Abrahamic traditions, right, because they can all draw their lineage and history and relationship to this God back to uh, the sevenfold promise and relationship that God made with uh, Abraham. Um, as Christians um, in Judaism, well, we follow the uh, lineage of Abraham's son, Isaac, um, Islam follows the lineage of his son, Ishmael. And, um, you know, here's the deal. Abraham had other kids. <laughs> uh, and that's the part that I think that we don't always necessarily talk about or hear about enough from a Christian perspective. You often hear the story about how 
Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. And then so then finally he complained to God and God was like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make it happen. And so then Sarah has this son, Isaac, right? And this is his beloved son, the son that God is going to make these great nations out of. This is Abraham's only son that God asked him to sacrifice. And then when Abraham was going to do it, God said, no, you don't have to because you're so faithful to me um, to sacrifice your only son. And here's a, here's a couple of things uh, to point out with this story. First of all, Isaac is not Abraham's only son. Uh, Isaac's not even Abraham's firstborn son. So Abraham's firstborn son is Ishmael. Um, Ishmael's mother is Hagar. Um, so, I, I mean, so if you're more familiar, you've probably heard of the story of Hagar and Ishmael. So um, typically in um, customs in this ancient Near East area, um, this has been recorded in other similar, what's what I'm looking for? Histories, nations, histories, right? This has been recorded in different cultures as well, that if, say, a woman is barren, it would then is her job to provide her husband with a woman, a servant, or someone who's not, who can give him children. So this is what happens in our Genesis story, starting in chapter 16, um, that she bore him no children, and so she took um, her Egyptian um, slave, whose name was Hagar, um, and, and brought her to Abram at the time. He's not Abraham yet. Um, and says, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so this is what happens. Ishmael is born, all that stuff. Yay. And so, so that's where we get this. And then, um, then God does decide to bless her um, and allow her to bear a son, Isaac. And so when this happens, it starts to get a little, you know, not super great. Sarah, okay, like she could have done things a little better, maybe. At least the author blames it on her. But she got like jealous and doesn't want this other boy playing with her son, who is now like the beloved son, right? This is his true born heir, right? So this other boy's got to go away. Um, and he's all torn up about this, right? He's like, but that's my son. You know, this is what he's talking about. Like we, I thought we had an understanding about what was supposed to happen here. Um, and so God comes to him and he's like, it's fine. God, God says to, to Abram, Abraham, it's fine. You know, I'll take care of him. Go ahead. Send Hagar and Ishmael away. Sit with that for a minute. God said, go ahead, send him away. You know, I, that one I that one I, I struggle with, but God says I'll take care of him and and does right. But this idea that like this is still his son, this is still a part of the family that like as a caring God of them. Why why are we sending them away? Anyways, the story goes on a little further, but to to show out there, then you know we talk about a little later. Um, Sarah dies, Abraham. <laughs> gets remarried to one of his concubines. Um, yes, we do get that language. That That is indeed his uh, concubine. Um, I think depending on the different translations, some may name her as a concubine and others don't. Anyways, her name is Keturah, and she bears six more sons. We have no idea if there's daughters in the mix, um, we can go back to that and how the patriarchal structure is set up that we mostly just left women out. What was the point? I don't know. They weren't important, apparently. But these were also not Abraham's only children. It also says that he has sons of concubines. Um, and his sons from his other concubines, um, he gives gifts and sends them away to the east. That's it. That's what we know about them. All right? That's what we have. The father, this patriarchal man, has all these children. One is important. One, he leaves his mother, sends him and his mother out into the wilderness to die. Luckily, God says, don't worry, I'll take care of them. He's got these six other sons and who knows how many daughters that essentially apparently get nothing. I don't know because it says that he gives everything to Isaac. Um, and then he's got all of these other children that don't even get named or numbered from other women that we don't get to know about. And they just sends them East with a gift. 
Here you go. Congratulations. You are my child. You are loved. You are blessed. Just kidding. That all goes to this kid. The rest of you, skidoo. Okay. Right? Isn't that lovely? So all of these other children that he has that are going east and starting to, you know, populate um, the Arabian Peninsula and whatnot, um, these become these tribes that get named um, in other places. Some of them, also, there's there's more tribes. Like, we got, we got back up a little bit further to get to some of these tribes, all the way back to Noah, right? So, okay, so here's the deal about the the book of Genesis and sort of, you know, the, the, the whole Pentateuch, right? So the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, the book of the books of Moses, as, as we say, or um, the Torah in Hebrew um, and Judaism would, would call these books the Torah, right? This is the law. So these books, I'm going to like, just take a moment with this. There's not one person that wrote Genesis or Exodus or all of these, um, historically they were chalked up that they said, well, these are the books of Moses. Moses, uh, wrote them. Um, but the thing is, is like, there's a lot of holes in, in that story. A few being one is that we're pretty sure like most of Deuteronomy, uh, was written and found in the time where King Josiah was, um, in charge just based on the things that he said and what happened and how they got used. And like, things that came out of the Deuteronomy writings that became important and implemented after Josiah was king. And then we can see different writings where those things hadn't been implemented yet. So it helps us like date those different parts. Anyways, so there's this one theory, uh, it's called the documentary hypothesis where they had kind of parsed it out and could name four different source materials in these first five books of the Bible. Uh, the Pentateuch. So that's what the documentary hypothesis says. So there's J E D P. These are the the four sources. Um, you know, some dating much earlier, some later, but whole that these five books of the Bible were written over the course of a couple hundred years, right? That they all got compiled and these stories got put together. A lot of which being is like, so the primeval history, which is like this beginning of Genesis that we're talking about here, is sort of like the, it's the origin story of the Israelite people, and so. You know, later in time, when these Israelite people are telling their stories about where they came from, explaining why things are the way that they are, they tell these these stories, right? And eventually someone started to, to write them down, and then that's how we got what we have. Um, but, you know, they vary because they're coming from different places, too. So, like, at the very beginning of Genesis... If you don't know this yet, there's actually two creation stories. The first one is Genesis 1 to 1 and then 2... Ch- chapter two, verse two, and then like starting in chapter three or four, verse three or four of chapter two, it actually starts with a whole, it's, it's a whole different account of creation. Um, and depending on what Bible you use, it'll be labeled. It'll say creation and then it'll start and it'll say another account of creation. Um, there's also two different, uh, so those are written back to back, right? Well, sorry, not written back to back. They were assembled back to back. But so like another part, uh, a little bit later, so the story um, with Noah and the flood, there's also two flood stories, but those are compiled a little differently. If you go and read that chunk, you see it actually like basically repeats itself. And so if you've ever read it and you're like, wow, why the hell is it repeating itself with slightly different facts? It's like there's an echo in the Bible. Well, that's why is because two different sources and their oral traditions just kind of got piled on top of each other and that's how it got put into its final form that we have today right all that to say that like these were oral stories that got told over and over again and then ultimately written down by different people in different points in time and also in different geographical locations so they would have heard like slightly different stories right and so that can take into account why we have stories that are recorded twice and slightly different And then it can also take into account why some things are here and some things kind of feel out of order. Um, Like we can get to, I'll get to in a minute about like a genealogy having to do with Noah that like it's kind of listed twice. And so like, why is it there? Well, it's in there twice because it was written by two different people and they just, they included them both um, for different purposes, I think. Uh, It's like, so I went to this camp growing up uh, that had this, like campfire scary story that got told. And I think it, 
eventually the program director was like, you can't tell this story anymore to kids. Um, because it got like so elaborate and so out of control in its telling that like kids were having nightmares and wetting the bed and wanting to go home and all those kind of things. Um, but the long story short is that like, here's the bare basic facts of it. Um, there was this family who lived on the frontier in this place in the state of Iowa for when I was a frontier for a long time. Anyways, they had like a rough winter. They didn't have food and everything died. And so then like dad had to go to town and like get food and supplies. And by the time he came home, the family had kind of gotten, you know, the kind of the crazy fever thing and lost it a little bit. Like while we were done and the youngest girl like killed her family and then the dad comes home and finds them and then the little girl kills him too. That's how the story goes. You can imagine how this could get retold over and over again over the course of years and like people getting really into it and adding these elaborate details. And, you know, she was in the barn at one point in time and she was in the house and like what they were eating for dinner and like adding all these things. Um, And so the story kind of grew and grew and grew and every single person that told it, told it totally differently, right? But like the same nuts and bolts were there. Um, and so I imagine, um, how some of these, these primeval stories, so like the origin stories of the Israelite people of the, the ancient, uh, uh, Hebrews, this is how they went. Right. So I even say like the Israelite people. So it's, it's important to understand that the Bible stories that we have in the old Testament are very specifically follow the lineage and storytelling and the prophets of the people of ancient Israel, that they were part of a particular tribe out of these many tribes um, that came out of this, you know, one family as it grew and grew and grew, but it's their stories to explain where they came from and how they are chosen by God. That is very important to understand when you read these stories and who the prophets are talking to, what they're talking about, and all those things. To understand that, like, They all kind of came from the same place. And so I want to talk about that with like Noah is kind of really where a lot of it kind of traces back to. So Noah, you know, in the story, it like gets off the ark, uh, which by the way, uh, this idea of having this flood story um, is also not unique to these particular people. Uh, A a lot of other stories. So I'm going to be you know, just kind of say that is like other cultures and um, kind of religions and nations and stuff in the area um, that have been studied also by scholars and looking at these uh, these different ancient peoples found a lot of similarities in the different stories that sort of made up their origin story and their religion and those things. So there are very, very similar stories and uh, different heroes and stuff like that that show up in these other uh, neighboring communities having flood stories or stories about a woman being barren um, and the miracle of birth. And like, uh, uh, there's a lot, like if you read, Oh man, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there are a few different like books that you can read that like take it and place it, take like, I'm doing hand gestures again. You guys can't see those that take these old Testament stories and can line them up with other ancient sources of the time that have their own, um, you know, sort of parallel stories happening to explain what's going on at the time. Anyways, one of the stories that we get is Noah and the flood, right? And so the essential idea is that, so like, um, you know, God learns that his created beings are a little bit corrupt and, you know, kind of suck sometimes. Um, and get totally out of control. And God's like, you know what? These people are good. Everyone else sucks. I'm just going to kill everybody and start over with this one family. Um, that's what our stories tell us. And we start with this family. And then what happens is they come off of the ark. You know, they start having kids and things like that. And it turns out they're all kind of shitty all, all over again. That that flood thing didn't fix anything. But God promised never to do it again. And so, you know, God's going to come up with some other solutions later. And Christianity, we would say that points us uh, to Jesus, right? Like that was the solution that God decided to, you know, give another try. A few other things, you know, prophets, things like that. And then ultimately we get to Jesus and that's, that's our thing. Okay. Anyways, Noah's kids, right? Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so we get the different lineages of this, um, starting, I believe, in uh, Genesis chapter 10 is where the lineages start. 
But first, we're going to back up a little bit because I want to talk about how we get all of these other groups that sort of get named in the Bible, these other communities um, that also kind of, you know, have the same God and the same religion. And how did we get there? Well, again, these are the stories to follow the Israelite people and trace their origin. And so we have all of these branching off, right? So like Abraham has these other kids, right? And they branch off into these other things, but they still have the same God. They just experience it differently and have different books and stuff because they have a different history. This is, you know, the, the Israelite history. Anyway, so we got these three kids. So what happens? You know, we hear about uh, the the Canaanites, right? Everyone, you ever hear about them? Uh, people don't like the Canaanites. We know that everyone, they become sort of like the bad guys. Well, why? So the story is that they're cursed by Noah. And you can find the story in Genesis 9. So this is what happens. After they're out of the ark and they're starting to grow crops and vineyards and stuff, Noah gets drunk and passes out naked in his tent. And Ham, his son, comes in and finds him naked and passed out and goes out and tells his brothers. Well, the two brothers come in and cover him with the blanket without ever looking at him. So then the next day when Noah wakes up and finds out what has happened, he curses Canaan, which is, I didn't say that, I don't think, is Ham's son. Ham's son is Canaan. Ham walked into the tent and found drunk daddy naked, but then, uh... When Noah then comes out and doesn't curse Ham, but curses Canaan, the son, for his father's I was gonna say sin, but I don't, even, I don't know what to call it. His father is accidentally walking in on his dad passed out naked and not immediately covering him up. That mistake that he made got his son cursed and all of their people after that cursed. So somehow that's Canaan's fault. Uh, and there you have it. And now that's why everyone's mad at him, uh, them for all the Canaanites. My guess, and I think that I read this somewhere, is this is probably an etiology. An etiology is uh, explaining a cause or reason for something that's experienced, um, usually not in fact, but like derived from experience, right? So like uh, another example of this is, you know, the garden, the story with the, with the serpent and Adam and Eve, right? So like after they eat the fruit of the tree of good and evil, which, by the way, I believe we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Um, you know, God curses the serpent, right? That, like, you shall lose your legs and slither on the ground and be struck. Um, the people's heel, and they shall step on you, and you shall be enemies with them. Well, this explains, this, this story is how we explain that, like, snakes slither and bite and that we hate them. Uh, another good example... Um, is the Tower of Babel, actually. The Tower of Babel is the, uh, is the etiology of why we have different languages. So uh, that actually takes place in like the very next chapter, right? So we're talking about uh, Noah, his son. So we get this in chapter 10. We get the genealogies of each of the three sons. <laughs> and then immediately after that in chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel story. And the reason I laughed a little bit is what's interesting to note here is the genealogy in chapter 10. After each of Noah's sons, we are told that they are in their own lands with their own languages, by their own families, and in their own nations. Okay? They're with their own languages. Okay? Then immediately in chapter 11, the very chapter 11, verse 1, we hear, the whole earth had one language with the same words. Mm, okay. Then we hear next that some unnamed descendants, we don't know which ones, uh, moved to Shinar, which is Babylon, and decided to build a tower to heaven. And God was like, no. Uh, actually, honestly, what God does in this situation is also uh, a bit distressing to me. I'm going to quote it directly. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Again, God speaking to themselves in a plural. Let us. That happens more than once. Pay attention to that. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scatters them abroad all over the face of the earth. I, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit distressed that God was like, oh man, these creatures are made are a lot smarter than I thought 
and they could do anything. They almost are could be like gods. So to prevent them from being, I don't know, intelligent, working together, accomplishing things, because apparently when they accomplish things, uh, it makes God angry, question mark. I am going to confuse them, mix up their languages, and make it a hell of a lot harder for them to accomplish things. Anyways, that's maybe a story for a different way of digging into the uncomfortableness there. I was just pointing out that that's another example of an, of an etiology, right? And now I have to remember why I was talking about the etiologies. Oh, the Canaanite people. Um, so this is probably just a way to explain, you know, that story is a way to explain why is it that they kind of butted heads um, with the uh, Israelite people. Again, the people whom are actually the center of this story, the center of the whole story, right? The long story. So... Anyways, uh, all of that we get after after the story of the Tower of Babel. We get the lineage um, from Shem down to Abram. Um, it's a little bit of I would say a web rather than like a straight line. Um, people marry some other people that are somewhere else in the family tree, like. His brother marries his niece, who then is the mom of his wife no his daughter-in-law it's a whole thing and we don't even know the half of it right because like women are left out of genealogies way to go patriarchy maybe they do that on purpose right so that we don't know whose mom is whose daughter and you're like whoa it's very incestuous in this family tree and which wives they have right because they have you know multiple wives uh anyways but they leave out of women out of genealogies except as we talked about a few weeks ago, Pastor Sarah, the one with Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew, right? And now think about why it's so important that these women that were named in that genealogy were named. Like how important that is, especially in comparative, you know, to these other genealogies that we have. It's kind of, you know, it's crazy. Uh, but sort of, you know, to put together this idea then that then now we get... You know, we have all these lineages and we get to Abraham, who's now considered sort of this, the father of, you know, um, of these religions, right? Because then Abraham is, we you know, the father of Isaac and the father of Ishmael. I didn't write down all of their kids everywhere. They're, they are listed. Well, at least the children of Ishmael. Um, he has a few wives, by the way. Um... And ends up with a lot of children, and we get some of their name, but then we just hear other sons and daughters and stuff. The uh, the the sons of Keturah, we don't get. Um, we get a couple of them, right? Like we know Jokshan is the father of Sheba and Dadan, um, who's the father of a couple other people, um, and who the sons of Midian are. Um, who you know we get we get the Midianites, right? So we we have these. So we get the, you know, we, we get these tribes, right? This is where we get from the different, you know, kids. We get, you know, we get the Elamites and the Assyrians and the Arameans and the Cushites and the Canaanites um, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. Um, and then, um, you know, I think even like the Philistines, like they, they all like, they're all coming back to this, this same area. Like they're just different siblings, Right. And so then their descendants get called something else. Right. They're they're different tribes then. And so ultimately, the story that we follow is about the the Israelites, which come out of Isaac, uh, the lineage from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac has two children um, who are twins, Jacob and Esau. Um, Esau is actually the older twin. So technically the one that birthright, he gets tricked out of his birthright. His mom, she she is a she's she's a feisty one. Um, maybe we'll dive into her sometime and we'll talk about Rebecca more. But I better follow the dudes right now because we're talking about the patriarchy, not the matriarchy. That actually probably would have been a more fun episode. Um, maybe that's just part two, right? Like first we got to break down the dudes and then we can dive into these feisty women that made history because the whole thing about them is there's so many women that go unnamed, right? But then we have these women 
that are named and are a bit feisty. Anyways, so we have Abraham, all of his concubine kids that he just gives a gift and sends to the east. We don't get to learn about their tribes yet. We have um, Ishmael um, and his sons and their tribes. And then we have Isaac, um, who, if you read from one lens, is the chosen one, the offspring, the beloved, the only son of Abraham. This is whom we follow. Anyway, so he uh, has a couple kids. They're twins. So the birthright of Esau. Um, uh, Esau then and his descendants um, are the nation of Edom and become the Edomites. Um, so we get to hear um, about them as well. But we follow then Jacob. So Jacob is given the name Israel. And so all of Jacob's descendants make up this nation of Israel. And so what happens is then... Um, you know, we, we, well, Jacob gets a couple wives, right? He, sister wives, actually. Uh, Leah and Rachel are sisters. He marries them both because, well, he's really in love with Rachel, but Leah's the older daughter and he's like supposed to marry her. So, um, in order to get what he wants, you know, he, he marries both of them. Um, uh, and they have a bunch of kids, right? And ultimately he ends up with the 12 sons, which turned into 12 tribes, but it's not one for one because two of the tribes are Joseph's sons. I'm trying to remember how that works. It's a little messy. The whole, I mean, the whole history is a little bit messy, right? But then we get these 12 tribes of Israel and those are the people that actually fully then, um, these tribes that like settle in the land, um, that we recognize or understand as this ancient Israel place at least for a time. And then at some point in time, the whole system kind of breaks down. And then before you know it, there's the two kingdoms, which we talked about uh, with Pastor Melissa, because that's kind of where then, you know, like on the scene um, where Micah is, is after there's there's two kingdoms in place. Because, um, you know, after, you know, we get the, the buildup of the kingdoms and then, you know, they fall apart because kings are kings. And we learn slowly that like, nah, they're not so great at stuff anyways so after solomon it just kind of like breaks down and then we get the two kingdoms we get the northern kingdom which is israel and the southern kingdom which is judah um and they stem from back you know we got the name the names right so like israel is the name given to jacob and then judah is one of his sons and so that's where then we get the judeans which um eventually gets shortened to to jew right that's actually where that sort of um, those people that are Jewish, right? That's how that connotation is from the Judeans. Ultimately, what we understand is like Jewish, um, Israel, Israelite, and then also Hebrew. Well, we, in modern day language, when we say these things, generally we're talking about the same people, right? Well, because we hear that language in, you know, the gospels a lot as Christians, right? The Jews, right? The Jews, that they ultimately then kind of get meshed and become like one people when in theory, like they kind of have different, well, they do have the same origin, but like different, you know, paths that they kind of split at different points in time in their history. The thing about the Hebrew though, this is a, this is a fun word um, that people, no one really actually can, you know, say where it came from. Um, there are some people who think that like um it is a play off of Eber, which is a, a descendant of Shem. Maybe Shem one of Shem's kids? Somewhere in Shem's line. I can't remember if it's a kid or a grandkid. Um, but one of it's one of Abraham's uh ancestors. And so like it comes from that. Um another idea is that it comes from it's a play off of um Hipiru, which is like was a name that kind of got broadly used in that time period to talk about people who were like migrants or immigrants or, you know, nomads, um, living that kind of way. And I mean, they were right. Like until after the exodus and they wandered around the desert for a while and finally settled, like they, they were like kind of nomadic people. The first time that this term gets used is when uh it's in genesis 14 um when lot lot gets captured and then uh rescued it's used to describe abraham uh it's abram not abraham at this time 
The one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks. So it gets used here for the very first time. It's just thrown in there. And it's sort of, it's a way to describe him as opposed to like against, in, in comparison to other people from other nations or other tribes and stuff like that. So this is just the first time this is thrown in there. So it's either his tribe, which, you know, um, could lead back to that, that idea of it being um, uh, Eber. Um, that's, you know, play off of that as that would be his tribe. Um, or the fact that he is, a, he is a wanderer, like he's an outsider, he's a foreigner. He has, you know, been nomadic so far in his life, very far away from where he was born. Um, so that like is an idea there. Um, there was a third idea of where it came from and I didn't write it down. I found it less plausible than the other two. Uh, but either way, just a fun fact that that's kind of where um, that term just kind of, you know, plops out of nowhere. And then before we know it, you know, Abraham's descendant is Isaac, whose descendant is Jacob. Well, Jacob's family, you know, all went down to Egypt and followed Joseph down there. And so then in that 400 years for when Joseph led them down there as guests and then they became somehow enslaved in Egypt. And then we hear this 400 years go by that they're now a distinct group of people called the Hebrews um, living enslaved in Egypt. That that's sort of where that kind of comes out. Then, you know, later, that 400 years later, we get Moses on the scene. And he does all the, the rescuing and, you know, talking to Pharaoh, um, singing some fun songs, depending on which animated film that you watched as a child. They leave and they wander around and take the most ass backwards way to get to where it is that they think this promised land is. And they finally get there and settle. Um, Moses doesn't make it. He dies right before they get there. Which brings me back to this idea about the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, not being written by Moses, but the multiple sources and stuff. One of the things that happens um, is Moses dies, right? Like he doesn't ever make it into the promised land. And there's this whole narration of Moses' death. Well, that is a hole that, so it was like really historical that people had attributed that to Moses. That was actually a hole that the first guy that was starting to kind of like analyze and poke holes at the Bible stories was in the mid Middle Ages sometimes, um, was, a, was a priest, right? Um, who was like, hey, Moses couldn't have written this. How did he narrate his own death? That doesn't make any sense. He, I mean, he got kicked out of the church. Um, modern scholars are, you know, they built on it and everyone believes him now, but just that beginning of the story where if you <laughs> disagree with the party line... Anyways, I am uh, appropriately grateful that we have more freedom and how we um, learn and um, get to express our um, theological questions and learnings. Anyways, today I didn't really talk about like a specific uh, Bible verse. I, I talked mostly in the chapters surrounding Genesis 9 to Genesis 25. You can skip around a little bit and there's some other stories, but just to talk about this, this lineage and, um, you know, this patriarchal structure that we have, um, is far from perfect. <laughs> um, but to understand that, like what, when I teach a class on this, what I think it's most important to understand when you're putting in perspective, all of these uncomfortable historical stories, when we hear about, you know, Abraham just dismissing his kid to die in the woods and all those other children that he just like didn't give any inheritance to and just said, here we go, bye-bye, I'm going to vent everything to this kid, or, you know, Noah cursing his <laughs> cursing his grandson uh, because he got drunk and passed out in a tent naked, and that's somehow his son's fault, which ultimately means his grandson gets cursed. Anyways, there's a lot of things that, like, they're uncomfortable, and they really make you sort of challenge what does... You know, where do you sit in your faith with these scriptures in a total understanding of your relationship with God, right? All right. The last thing that I want to add about this is um, just a quote from uh, the introduction to the Hebrew Bible by John Collins. Um, it's just a really good quote here that to kind of put in perspective these these ancient texts about 
whether or not they're true or not or what that means. Regardless of their historical value, the tales of the patriarchs remain powerful as stories. In large part, this is because, like all good folklore, they touch on perennial issues. When the stories are read as scripture, they become more problematic because of the common but ill-founded assumption that all scripture should be edifying. The stories of Genesis are often challenging and stimulating, but they seldom, if ever, propose simple models to be imitated. What does it mean for us to look up to Abraham as like um, this treasured and favored person that God, you know, supposedly respected and loved and cherished and that is revered as this, you know, huge patriarch when, you know, he sent his son and his mother, you know, just here's here's a skin full of water and some leftover lamb chops. Good luck. Does not sound like a fatherly figure that I would look up to very much. Well, what about if your perspective is from any other kid in that family? Family being a broad term here, right? Like, it just, it, it is, right? They're related. Family. What, what if you're any other kid in this story besides Isaac? What do you think of God? Right? Or, you know, say you're Canaan, right? What, what the hell, man? You had this God curse me because you got drunk in your tent and my dad found you and apparently didn't make the right choice in the exact right moment in time. I don't know. That's if you dig deep in a literal sense and also, you know, take these stories at total face value, Um, which is something I don't actually really encourage you to do and talk about that all the time. But we have to wrestle with these stories. So what do they mean for us? What do they mean for us in our own faiths? What does it mean for you and where you're at in your particular faith journey to really wrestle with some of these harder stories of God's people and God's relationship, particularly the ones that are favored and considered sort of the center of this story of the origins of the people of God? What does this mean? I'm very big on not wanting to like give answers or solutions, but that we all should wrestle mostly because I do firmly believe that like no one actually really has the answers, right? Like we all just have to wrestle with what's there and, um, you know, take that with us and use it to inform our faith and inform our actions. And it's sort of, you know, you add that as your grounding of your own theology. Theology just means God talk. It's the thing that you believe, right? These are the things that you believe. So as you continue to learn and grow in your theology, you create your own sense of how you understand God and how you understand the creation of God. This creation being our earth, our universe, the plants, the flowers, um, the animals, the humans, right? It's, it's how do you understand these things? And so we as Christians would say, we have this book. This is what helps us understand God's relationship with God's creation. That's like broadly, you know, what we say, right? And so when you're working out your own individual understanding of how God relates with their creation, what does that look like for you? And when you put in perspective these stories, then how does that feed into it? I think if we just read these individual stories in, you know, the 21st century and we look at these things as I have named them and pointed out, God said something shitty here and Abraham did something shitty there. Like, yeah, it can be very, very troubling. But what's important to take into consideration is the whole story. So this is the whole story. This is the the arc, the uh, overarching story of the entire Bible that we say does indeed bend towards justice and love of God. Um, That if you take this overarching story and read between the lines of the author trying to give us these hints and these glimpses of how God worked with God's people. I think that might be the key takeaway, right? Like they were still figuring it out, right? They were figuring out how to be God's people. They were figuring out just how to exist, right? Like they're still, you know, 
I'm sure they had spoons invented, but we're still working on some other things, right? They didn't have a home yet. They're still nomads. And they have this God that's taking care of them. And they're still learning the rules and what that means and what it means to be in relationship with this God. That is the story that is building. And I think if we look through the entire story, what we see from the origin, what what is then you know written as the supposed origin of the people, all the way through when we um, have Jesus enter the scene, and then even through the, the Christian scriptures and the letters of, of Paul and the other epistles, we have this overarching story of how these people learn to be in relationship with this God and what that looks like. And I, you know, I don't necessarily want to always dismiss God of the things that God does. There are people that like to do that very quickly, that like clearly we must have misinterpreted what God did because if we're thinking anything God did was negative, then clearly we're the ones that are wrong. Um, I mean... That could be true. Um, I don't want to necessarily dismiss God of some things. I do think there's quite a few examples throughout the book where, like, books, collection, the thing, the large the large overarching Bible thing, where, like, God kind of does some things that individually, if you look at it, like, seems kind of like a terrible, you know, doesn't seem very loving, does it? Uh, killing everyone, for instance, when I go back to the flood, that's always my favorite example. You know, that is an interesting way to express love, uh, in my opinion. Um, and what does that tell us about God? You know, I, I think there are definite takeaways. We're going to dive into that in a different day. Um, but just to say that, like, I do believe that, like, it was written from a human perspective, right? And so, like, you get this one perspective. Again, we're talking about these people of Israel. We get this perspective and this overarching story then, you know, then through Jesus and, and, and through the rest of it, where we hear humans wrote things down, inspired by God, but through the relationship, about the relationship that they are forming and continuing to learn and grow in with this divine. And I think that is maybe the thing that we always need to have on the back of our minds when we're reading any parts of this. Um, Especially the really uncomfortable parts. It's just because they did it or said it doesn't mean it's right. And also, we're still continuing to learn how to be in relationship with this God. And I think that, um, you know, that's what Jesus came on the scene to teach us. To be like, hey guys, this is what it means to build this kingdom, to be in relationship with this God. Like, that's the overarching thing. And so when we look back at these early stories, at least, again, this is me speaking from a Christian perspective. These are the early people trying to be in relationship with God. And what we know now, these are the things that we can do and be a part of to build on top of that relationship. Maybe I am trying to explain things away. I don't know. I think that there are certainly some very um, troubling behaviors that we have in our patriarchal line. Um, And the best I can do is name them and then hold them in contention with the other stories in this grand thousands of year poetry story about people trying to be in relationship with God. And when I hold them in contention with the rest of these stories, it seems like they were still learning. They were still trying to figure it out. And sometimes, I don't know if this is okay to say either, but sometimes I feel like God was still trying to figure out how to be in a relationship with creation, you know? Um, still trying to figure out what that is. Um, and I think that maybe that's something that, you know, some grace that, that we can give uh, our creator is understanding through the course of this extended long history that like we have grown and learned from each other. Um, thank you for journeying with me today through this, uh, I don't know what, sort of a web that we weaved of the ancient, um, particularly male, uh, lineage of our biblical narrative, um, and wrestling about what that means for us. Um, thanks for joining me today on this special episode. Um, I welcome any feedback. If you were like, wow, Pastor AJ, uh, don't do that again. I'll be like, cool, cool, cool. Um, we'll take some different approaches. 
Um, but also if you found this particularly helpful and you're like, yeah, we would love to listen to you rant for another hour of our lives about different ancient peoples and humans, um, in the Bible that maybe we don't hear about on, on Sundays. And if we didn't go to seminary or decided to read the Bible front to back and then also did research because that's a key piece to that. If you just read it, but you're not doing any of the, the work, then I don't actually think you've learned anything. Anyways, if you found this helpful and would like Pastor AJ to do this again, not sure why I just spoke like that, um, please let me know. Um, I, I'm planning to do it again, and now I'm thinking we're going to talk about the matriarchs. That sounds like it could be a fun complimentary series. Um, please let me know. Anyways, thank you for joining me for this uh, fun 10th episode. Um, some updates with things that are happening. I want to apologize uh, for being a bit behind Um my life has had some things going on that have um, made me struggle to have um, some extra time to do things. Uh, but I promise you, I am still doing them. So the resource page is still coming. It is um, live, but it is temporarily like, you know, it's only like I'm building the plane as we're flying in. Um, there is, uh, you know, some fun merch, some swag. Um, and this week, Bum, 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 bum. This week for our special 10th episode, we will have our swag giveaway. I know I said it was going to be like a week ago, but I was confused about what episode number we were on um, because I, I think I mentioned in my um, episode with Pastor Tamika, I like skipped a line in my spreadsheet because I'm that smart. I know a person with a math degree can't use a damn spreadsheet. Anyways, so merch is out resources is building and building and I will continue to build that um, as we go because I want you to be able to find great resources and continue your learning and challenges as you go and um, I'll probably do this again let me know if not also let me know that too um, anyways, thanks for joining us this week. You can learn more at 10footpolepodcast.com and find us on Facebook and Instagram at 10footpolepodcast and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to be involved in the swag giveaway, you need to follow us on Instagram. So please hop on over and do that now. Um, and please, um, if there's someone that you think could use a good talk, uh, about the Bible, um, listen to pastors talk about it or just hear this weird history thing that I just did share share this far and wide um as you know we try to build our community here the 10 football podcast is a ministry of the delaware maryland synod and to learn more go to demsynod.org take care y'all